for coming to our quarterly disaster council meeting a few days before the holiday week. We appreciate everyone being here. Um, I will, I'd like to call the meeting to order and um, remind uh, folks if you are speaking, um, if you have questions, you're presenting, please use the microphone as we are filming this and we wanna make sure we capture everyone. Um, so uh, we are gonna start with our first item with a, a report around preparedness. And, um, oh, and before I uh, start that, I just wanted to um, say that since the last meeting, we have gone from summer to winter and from fires to floods, as is, as ha is how it goes in San Francisco. Um, and I just wanted to say um, thank you and to acknowledge the departments, um, the Department of Emergency Management, of course, the PUC, Public Works, MTA, um, fire and rec park. Uh, we met yesterday to review the city's response to the Dece December 7th storm and residual flooding. Um, as folks are probably aware, we had a very um, kind of out of nowhere, um, almost tornado, uh, technically a microburst that dumped a whole lot of water on the city in a very short period of time on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and so uh, due to that, we have been working on adjusting our plans to be um, more uh, ready to ready to respond in a non um, a, a uh, with a no notice storm event, which is fairly unusual. However, due to the variability in weather and due to climate change and just changes uh, on the planet, we have to be ready for the unexpected. Um, and so we are working on improving our situational awareness, our operational response, and in particular our community, our uh, public messaging uh, regarding those storms when they do happen. Um, secondly, we're gonna move into um, the uh, recent activities also this week. We had a safety assessment program proof of concept. The safety assessment program, also known as SAP, is a uh, really a state program that certifies engineers throughout the state to do building assessments, engineering and structural assessments uh, to buildings after disasters, in particular uh, earthquakes. Um, we had uh, this exercise on um, Monday uh, with uh, led by the Department of Building Inspection and the City Administrator's Office with other department participation. I was really, really pleased at the progress the group has made. Um, and we had Cal OES there also, who uh, took me aside and was actually very thankful for San Francisco's work. We are leading the way in the state um, in this work uh, to do assessments. Um, what we did is set up equipment at Moscone, which is a potential area we may uh, activate, you can see. It's not just about bringing engineers in and sending them out. It's a huge logistical lift uh, to be able to pull folks from all over the state to come and assist us. That means we need to provide sheltering. These are folks that may not be familiar with San Francisco, so we have to orient them. Um, and so it was a, a great opportunity to actually um, practice taking uh, information in, both manually and electronically, uh, pulling that information up and being able to get that information out quickly. 
Um, I really want to do a big shout out to the to the planning team um, because they've had only a few months to pull this together. Ed, Libby, Nick, uh, Danielle, and Ray, uh, which is a photo of them. Great looking group up there. Uh, this is a significant um, deliverable from the, the tall building study that was uh, published last week. So I'm very proud of the, the progress we've made on it and we will be continuing to work uh, going forward. It, it, um, was, yeah. it, was, it was published last, uh, last year, the tall buildings. Yes, yeah. published last year. So um, another major preparedness effort that we've been working on has been um, public safety power shutoffs. Um, we, uh, the, I hopefully everybody who is here and is watching this is well aware of what they are, but it is the PG&E program that proactively de-energizes power lines during times of high wildfire risk. Um, and as we learned, uh, this program was announced last year and was put into, uh, was activated several times this year. Um, one of the big questions for the public safety shutoff is what does this mean for San Francisco? Um, tier three districts are the ones that are most at risk. Um, we're a tier one. We don't have a high risk for wildfires in San Francisco, thankfully. However, the transmission lines that bring power over to San Francisco go through those districts. Um, in general, we feel like we have to prepare for these outages. Um, I am thankful that we saw significant regional outages and we in San Francisco did not, um, did not experience those outages. So I think that was reassuring for everyone. Nonetheless, we are preparing. Um, we had a number of workshops over the last year and uh, particularly over the summer. Um, in June, we had a uh, workshop just for city departments. In July, we invited our private sector and non NGO nonprofit partners in. And then in August, we went regional um, with our fellow um, partners at the regional level, both other counties and the state. Um, the objectives for the workshop were really to gather information share information and um, look at consequence management. Should we have a major earthquake, or I'm sorry, uh, power outage, what would be the consequences? Um, same, similar with our private sector, um, to understand where their vulnerabilities are, what we can do to support and help them, and um, also sh generally share information about what they can expect if this were to happen. And um, those were similar objectives for the regional workshop um, and sharing, in addition, public, getting our public information uh, aligned. So our citywide findings um, were basically included how essential services uh, will main, be maintained or how we will maintain continuity during a power outage especially those services that serve our most vulnerable populations. We discussed the scarcity of resources like fuel, transportation, communication, um, and other technologies. If this sounds like what we would be preparing for for an earthquake, it absolutely is. I would say the only silver lining of the PSPS for us is that um, we have made some significant progress in some of our planning. Um, and, prepa and preparedness uh, that will serve us well during an earthquake. Um, and for communities around us, 
that, that's the same. For the private and the nonprofit sector, we really highlighted continuity for businesses of all sizes um, and sort of are learning more about which businesses have more resources to deal and operate and can be on their own and which are gonna need our help um, or support uh, in the longer term. And then finally, the regional workshop was eye-opening. Um, it seemed that we were pretty much at significantly ahead in some jurisdictions around the continuity of operations um, planning process in particular. Um, many departments uh, have been working, doing a lot of work on this, and this is gonna be a big follow-up for us um, in, the, in the coming year. So just looking at the, the PSPS events that did happen, there were seven major events. Uh, the three big ones happened in October. Um, you know, there was, when you can see on the slide, number of customers. Um, a customer actually uh, is usually more than one person. That's a power connection. So the numbers were really huge. Um, and while um, we did not, um, we did not in San Francisco experience a power shutoff many, many of the folks that work for us did, many of our own employees. And so what we've learned really was the impact to essential services um, is significant for San Francisco, even if we're not losing power. Um, and so DHR, I really wanna shout out to DHR and Mickey and your staff. I'm so thrilled about the progress we've made and our ability to identify employees where who live in impacted areas and get information out to them and vice and back and forth, um, something we're definitely gonna need in other events, so thank you. Um, in addition, um, we, we uh, had to activate for a number of reasons. Um, we obviously had our own in-city planning. We were coordinating with the state, um, looking at uh, other utilities, and I've lost Thank you, my handy assistant here. So moving forward, um, and we'll hear a little bit more about this, but what we've, we realized again, our employees are affected. Um, we'll be doing a follow-up meeting um, in the first quarter of 2020 to kind of review what all of the um, marching orders that we put out last year to see where departments are, um, looking at how the PSPS did impact us. And um, I think one of the, the big things we learned was um, the fact that we have to provide assistance to our neighbors. And um, unfortunately, what the state is saying and other jurisdictions is the likelihood of fire happening regionally is this is not something that's likely to go away anytime soon. And so our ability to provide mutual aid, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the meeting, is going to be critical. Um, so, let's see. Um, finally, the public awareness campaign for um, PSPS is probably one of, the, um, one of the deliverables that we put forward that we're most proud of. Um, this is a regional, we coordinated regionally, coordinated with PG&E, um, really to get this information out. And um, 
So we uh, have put this out through social media and neighborhood organizations and community groups. And I think that just the fact that we had so many significant PSPS that the public is fairly aware of this program um, and what they need to do. Um, in addition, if we do end up having a PSPS event, we have a very robust plan in which uh, to notify people ahead of time, assuming we get that notification, um, and uh, reaching out to our partners um, and, and, and other stakeholders. The other thing is that we are paying close attention to the other counties that have been through this and looking at their lessons learned, incorporating that, incorporating that into our planning. So that's PSPS. Are there any comments, anything to add from the council or questions from the council? Okay. I guess the only thing I would, I would add, really good presentation, Mary Ellen, is that the Lifelines Council, which brings together all the different utility providers and, and the sort of 12 or 13 different lifelines uh, around the city, also had a discussion in December on the PSPS program and on a lot of the different events that happened. You know, we had several events that were happening around power outages, earthquakes, and so forth um, in what, October through November. So we had an open discussion about that. Uh, and there is going to be a follow-up meeting, I think, to focus on some of the telecommunication issues. So we'd heard during the PSPS outages some of the challenges with cell phone access or, or mobile phone access and the, the towers going out because the battery lives didn't last long enough. So we're going to have some follow-up discussion on that, as well as on FirstNet and some of those other solutions as well in their in the March meeting of the Disaster Council. I mean, of the um, sorry, the March meeting of the Lifelines Council. Um, so we're going to sort of continue to I think get at some of these issues um, through that body as well. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Okay, at this time we the public can address the uh, Disaster Council. Is there any public comment? Hearing none, we will move on to our third item, or the third report, emergency response. Um, again, in October, as you saw in the previous presentation, there was significant uh, fire risk and fires. In October, the Kincaid fire, probably the largest regionally, was ignited. Um, it burned over 77,000 acres and prompted the biggest or the largest mass evacuation in California history. So although we weren't directly impacted, um, as we look at these events, San Francisco is called on to respond. And several agencies, including DEM, SFPC, and DPH, sent public information officers um, to assist with public notification alert and warning and helping evacuees with notification and coordination. And some of our public safety departments sent personnel to be on the front line. So I want to offer fire, police, and sheriff the opportunity um, to speak briefly on their response. So we can start with fire. Good morning. I'm Lieutenant Thompson, Fire Department. Um, on the 24th, we received a mutual aid request for one of our OES engines. An OES engine is an engine that's supplied to us by the state of California that we staff and we will make available to respond on a mutual aid request. And we have one of those in San Francisco. Uh, that was staffed with four individuals and it was sent um, in the early mornings of October the 24th. Um, later on in that day, we received another request as the fire was developing. 
for what's called a strike team. A strike team is like apparatus being fire engines in this case, and it's usually with five fire engines and what's called a strike team leader, which is a uh, individual at the rank of a lieutenant or above who has been certified and passed off on how to manage a major incident and a strike team of um, the uh, 20 individuals that will be deployed out. Uh, that uh, deployment left early in the morning at 4 o'clock uh, and responded out to uh, the Kincaid fire. On the 26th, we received another request for additional um, resources, and we sent two additional engines uh, with a total of eight firefighters to that. And they were attached to another strike team, uh, which is called a uh, multi-county strike team. So we did not have the ability to give them five engines, but we have other counties that may have had one engine or two engines, and together we can combine one full strike team. Um, altogether, our eight engines or our eight resources that were out there were out there for roughly seven days. They did a multiple uh, variety of tasks, including fire suppression, fire mitigation, meaning um, going up and making sure that fire lines weren't coming up to the communities, evacuations, feeding animals while they were out as a tertiary or collateral duty, uh, doing rescues. Uh, for the second strike team, which was the five-engine strike team, they were actually on the line for uh, about 28 hours uh, prior to being able to get what's called um, a, they call it a day off, it's not a day off. It's a rehab, re-evaluation of all their equipment, cleaning so when when they say it's a day off they get off the fire line from fighting the fire from doing evacuations from helping people in need and they go back and they have to clean the apparatus they have to clean all their tools they have to make sure that everything's in working they have to make sure that all their supplies are set and then they get a chance to get some rest to go back onto the fire lines those personnel are available to get called back onto the fire line if, it blow, if they call it blowing up as if the fire actually progresses rapidly that's unexpected, which in our circumstance that did not um, occur. On an internal note, we did have a shelter here in San Francisco. The incident has public information officers that are attached to the incident. We had a public information officer for our regional shelters from San Rafael to, to uh, Alameda County to the one that we had here in San Francisco. That was an individual from San Jose Fire. Uh, the fire department sent um, RPIO, which is myself, to assist that individual to acclimate them to what we have available here in San Francisco and assisted that individual with um, a couple of their presentations um, at the actual shelter that we had. Uh, that's what we have for the fire department. Any questions? Thank you. Chief Scott, do you want to? Thank you. Uh, thank you. The police department also received a mutual aid request from Sonoma County. We started off um, with our deployment on the 26th, and we sent a contingency of officers um, to, to Sonoma County, basically for the purposes of assisting with evacuations and also uh, prevention of looting for those communities that had been evacuated. Um, our deployment um, was in shifts. We actually had 24-hour coverage, and our officers were basically um, stationed there with equipment to make it a little bit logistically easier. We had cars actually in Sonoma County, so the officers were manned in or transported by van to then uh, assume their evacuation duties in Sonoma County. So overall, 
the deployment varied from the night shift to the day shift, but we um, basically were able to assist that county with evacuation services and prevention of crime. I think there was one arrest by San Francisco PD officers during that period, but basically uh, that was our, our role and duty. Thank you, Chief. And Sheriff's Department. Uh, thank you, Mary Ellen. Um, the Sheriff's Department had our field operations division. They converted right away to a 12-hour shifting shift plan. And at the Kincaid fire, we deployed nine operational, for nine operational periods of 12 hours each, 24 hours a day. The department ended up deploying approximately 190 sworn staff for mutual aid, uh, much in the same way the uh, police department did. Um, we had a number of various assignments. They ranged from patrol of affected areas. We assisted in road closures. We secured areas under evacuation orders. We assisted the National Guard at checkpoints, checked on businesses, escorted residents into areas closed off to the general public, and patrolled the area near the Safari Zoo in the Mark West area. Um, we also uh, were part of the um, evacuation shelter that was set up at St. Mary's Cathedral for five days, and we had deputies assigned there for nine operational periods. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody, um, including DEM staff who, who deployed. Um, we always bring back really important lessons learned uh, when we go out to these things. Um, so, three million people in the Bay Area were without power. Um, due to the weather conditions that made the Kincaid fire so concerning. Um, and it resulted in over 185,000 people in Sonoma County under evacuation order um, due to the fear that the, the fire would spread. So because of that large number of evacuees, Cal OES asked San Francisco to open a shelter in order to house residents who were leaving their homes um, and did not have space up in Sonoma or Marin County. So the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center here in San Francisco, <laughs> opened Sunday, uh, October 27th, to identify and ready a location that could help these folks. And the Human Services Agency and American Red Cross worked together to staff that shelter, um, while the EOC was activated to support the operations, provide public messaging, and coordinate employee notification and also serve as a link to the state. So I'm gonna introduce um, Doris Baroni, who's with, uh, she's the Disaster Preparedness and Response Manager for the Human Services Agency, uh, who will brief us on that shelter operation. Thank you, good morning everyone. Um, so thank you for setting the stage and um, sharing with everyone a little bit about the incident. Um, so we, um, here in San Francisco, to work. Um, we're asked to um, support our neighbors in the north and open an overflow evacuation shelter um, for approximately 500 residents from Marin and Sonoma County. Um, and so as Mary Ellen um, kind of mentioned that it's the fire, but also coupled with the PSPS event, which made the response really challenging, um, especially for those that were evacuating and looking for a place to stay um, while the, the incident was being taken care of. Um, and so when the request came into San Francisco, um, our mission is always to provide an accessible shelter environment uh, where survivors can stay united with their pets, receive basic medical care, and feel safe and secure. We know from past fires that people evacuate with their pets and prefer to go to shelter environments where they can bring them along um, so that they continue to provide care for, for their pets. Um, in a 
addition, um, basic medical care is really, really essential. Um, people uh, lose their prescriptions. People need um, to be seen. And so providing that um, in the shelter space was very important. Um, thank you to DPH, Dr. Gurley, and our staff um, for getting that together um, and providing that service at the shelter for the duration. Um, and then feeling the safe and secure. So people evacuate in their vehicles. All of their possessions are in their cars. Um, so parking and safety of parking and vehicles was uh, a real concern around um, this event as well. Uh, we talked about some various options, but really what it came down to was finding a location that had a parking area large enough to accommodate residents in their cars um, here in San Francisco, which can be a challenge because we are challenged by parking. Um, and the security piece, we, um, we don't allow media um, and people that are not to be in the shelter within that perimeter. And so we um, had um, police and sheriff provide um, support there to ensure that, that the perimeter was safe and there was no one coming on, onto the campus that didn't need to be there. So when we um, got the notification <coughs> that we were being asked to ramp up and activate shelters, um, we uh, activated the emergency operations center, the Department of Emergency Management uh, operated the activate the city's emergency operations center and we through the human services um, health and human services branch in the emergency operations center began to coordinate what the scope of the shelter was going to look like we were looking at things such as the number of people um, considerations around accessibility um, again parking was a big one to think through and so what did the shelter space need to look like primarily um, secondly, we also looked at um, looking at our databases and our resources to identify what we had on hand, uh, what we could bring to bear, um, not just Human Services Agency and Department of Public Health and DEM, but all the other departments in the, in the city um, that could uh, support us in activating the shelter and then identifying gaps. So any gaps were then pushed out um, and to our partners um, to see if anyone could step up and support us in filling those gaps. And so we reached out to our networks. Uh, VOAD is a big one, volunteer organizations active in disaster. Um, they are all nonprofit organizations that create a network to, to do this type of work and support us. Uh, Meals on Wheels came through, Suchi um, and others. And so it was really valuable to have that. Um, and then our faith-based organizations, and that's where St. Mary's came in. Uh, St. Mary's Cathedral, for those of you that don't know, also participate in wet weather sheltering during the winter. Um, They're very familiar with this. They do this frequently. We practiced at their shelter space last year for um, the Urban Show Yellow Command exercise. Very successful. Um, and so it was really great to have that strong partnership with them and be able to lean on them for that. Um, and then the other piece was um, identifying how long we were going to run this operation, which was really difficult to um, pinpoint because of the actual event was fluid. Um, so we planned for a week-long operation, understanding we may need to go longer than that. Um, and so the, the schedule allowed us to determine how quickly we needed to get um, resources out to site, including <coughs> staff, feeding, um, and then how we were going to set up the, the actual shelter. Because we have practiced a lot, um, the setup of St. Mary's actually um, went very smoothly. Uh, this is just a basic uh, timeline of operations. The EOC activated on Sunday the 27th when a local emergency declaration was also made uh, by the mayor. Uh, we activated on Monday the 28th at 8 a.m. So 
it was approximately a 16-hour window um, to plan for a 200-person shelter initially, um, understanding we may need to open a secondary shelter to get to that 500-person number. So we were continuing to look at facilities um, and other resources we needed to fill the need. Um, Tuesday the 29th, um, we recognized that most of the families that were in the shelter um, had children between newborns, four weeks old, all the way up to about 12 years old, and so there was a need for entertainment for the children, um, for um, other kind of activities. Uh, we were happy to have Comcast step in. I believe they were providing support for all the other shelters for the event. Um, they created a kids area with crafts. They brought in television, cable services, so it really allowed the adults to be linked into the outside world and allowed some distraction and a little bit of fun in the shelter for the families and the kids as well. Wednesday was business as usual in the shelter and then Thursday we geared up for some Halloween activities because again we wanted to create some kind of normalcy um, and some distraction for the kids that were there and then we deactivated um, or closed down the shelter on Friday the, the 1st, November 1st. Um, so this is a basic picture of our families and individual shelter area. Um, it's very broad, big. This area, um, this is the actual picture of, of the shelter space um, as it was set up. We set up for 50 individuals, understanding that if more arrived, we would, um, we would um, kind of broaden the footprint. Um, and you'll see way in the back, we had um, kind of privacy screens where the Department of Public Health was doing some medical support back there. Um, in the front, we had some resource tables. We had an organization called um, Corazon Healdsburg, which is an advocacy organization in Healdsburg, come down to San Francisco for the duration and provide translation services and resources uh, to those residents that were coming from the Healdsburg area. And the majority of them were uh, primarily um, immigrant Spanish-speaking <coughs> communities were the residents within our shelter. Um, and then one of the really amazing things I thought was that um, Animal Care and Control, small but mighty team, stepped up and they did an amazing job shutting up the, the sheltering, the pet sheltering areas. This was the large animal or the large like dog area where pets were able to cohabitate with their owners. And so we were able to have humans and their pets together in this space so that they could continue to care for them. In the back, they had a cat room and another small animal room. And so they did a phenomenal job. In addition, they provided microchipping, they provided vaccinations. And so, and so it, they really did an amazing job at providing really comprehensive full services to, to families and their pets. Uh, resident services, um, really the basics of a shelter, food, cots, bedding, showers. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Lava May who allowed us to use one of their trailers um, at the shelter. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, St. Mary's, that's the one piece we always know we have to set up is mobile shelter, or sorry, mobile showers. And so they allowed us to use their, their trailer. Um, and they also... Um, coordinated with Urban Alchemy um, to provide shower attendance and shower services. So that was really great to have them as a partner as well. Again, basic medical care, pet care and supplies, technology, this is a huge one. And I know Mary Ellen, you pointed this one out as well. Initially, people want to be connected to the outside world. They want to know what's going on. They want to communicate with their families. They want to be connected to their communities. And so 
DT um, provided um, some Wi-Fi boosting within St. Mary's and allowed the residents to actually have access to Wi-Fi. Um, family entertainment, again, Comcast came through. And then event information. So um, it was mentioned earlier, there was a PIO that came um, from the actual response area to give residents real-time information of um, evacuation orders that had been lifted. They talked um, about everything from the change in the winds to the directionality of the fire. Um, and it was really useful. And I think people felt very connected and like they were being um, given the information they needed to determine if they could leave the shelter or if they had to stay longer. So um, for us in the shelter, that was a real positive. I'd never seen that done before. And so I was happy to learn that this is something that, that is provided to residents. In terms of shelter management, um, we do things a little bit different in San Francisco, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Um, generally, the Red Cross will manage the shelter or the jurisdiction. Here in San Francisco, we do a hybrid management structure where we work hand in hand to manage the shelter. Uh, the Human Services Agency works regularly with the Red Cross to activate fire shelters for people who are displaced here in San Francisco, and we do it very much the same way. So these really small events actually helped us in having smooth operations um, within this shelter space, so which was really fantastic. So we cooperated the shelter space. We established field coordination in the shelter. We established a space where we had DPH, ACC, um, HSA, ARC, and other agencies come and coordinate with us. Um, and that's where we collaborated around logistics and operations. What did we need? What did we have? And were there any unmet needs that we had to work together to identify? Um, and then we all reported up to our um, individual um, kind of areas. So we, um, as um, HSA reported up to the EOC, ARC reported up to their headquarters, DPH up to their department operations center, and so we, we were able to work that through. This is a model I'm hoping we will keep using, continue to use um, as we move forward. It worked really well, and it was great to have so many eyes um, at the shelter level. We demobilized on Friday, November 1st. Um, two notes on demobilization. Um, it went really smoothly. Um, and one of the things that we need to tighten up, and this comes up in the lessons learned, is our tracking of um, resources um, and donations, especially resources. We're borrowing things from various agencies and partners. We need to make sure <laughs> we know uh, who they belong to, who's going to pick them up, and, and all of that. And so we need to tighten up our, our documentation, our processing on the shelter um, level for that. Um, and then getting people back home. So there were many people who came over who needed gas um, or who had been dropped off. And so we were kind of on Thursday developing a plan to get people back to Sonoma um, County. And um, we had to work with Sonoma County EOC to obtain gas cards and then schedule rides, uh, which was great um, that they were able to step in. But if we're thinking of a much larger event, this is going to become an issue. And so we need to do some pre-planning around how do we get people um, back to their home jurisdiction. So overall strengths and lessons learned, um, again, the pre-existing relationships really um, made this a smooth um, event uh, within the shelter piece. Um, and so the small incident practice really kind of helped us already hone in um, some of these skills within the shelter. And departments and staff were generous with their time and resources. Everyone was all in. Um, at the EOC, people were making calls. They were saying, take what you need, borrow what you need. And so it was fantastic to see everyone really kind of galvanize and come together for this. Um, lessons learned, four big ones for us. 
Um, again, additional planning around supporting residents on their journey home, um, donations management and resource tracking. Um, so we got lucky with donations. We received some really useful donations. We have seen that this can become a disaster within a disaster where people just start dropping things off at the shelter location. So we need to come up with a better plan on how to manage that piece um, as well. Uh, CCSF staff just-in-time training and on-site support. So uh, the Human Services Agency provided all of the shelter staff for, um, for this event. The Red Cross provided management staff. Many of our staff are trained. We have historically supported um, pop-up uh, wet weather shelters, and so we have done extensive training in the past. We need to continue to provide training and do just-in-time training in the shelter space as well, and ensure that someone's there from the city to answer questions for them around reporting um, and, and all types of things that come up when someone is doing this type of work in the shelter space. Um, and the last piece, which is really important, is communications around shelter accessibility. We make all of our shelters accessible. Um, and if they're not accessible, we have the resources to do that. I think something that got lost is that we know that they're accessible. We um, hope that everyone knows that they're accessible. So we need to do just some more targeted messaging um, and ensuring that our um, access and functional needs communities understand that they are accessible, they are welcome, and that we are willing to work with them on any issues that come up related to shelter accessibility. Um, so we're, we're working with our internal public information team on that, um, and then we'll be working with DEM on that piece as well. And that's all I have. I was going to report out with Allison Bittinger from the Red Cross, but she was ill today, so she wasn't able to make it. Yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Doris. Yeah. Does anyone have questions for Doris? Um, I just also, uh, I want to just highlight St. Mary's has been an unbelievable partner for us. Um, I spent a lot of time that week at the shelter, and um, part of the reason is they let us practice in there, and they were just unbelievably uh, accommodating, so we're very grateful. Um, yes. I just wanted to thank everybody who participated in this. Uh, this was, um, I think, the mayor's first local emergency that she had to declare. It was a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Uh, we did not schedule this, uh, and it was her first experience getting that phone call. Mayor, you've got to come to DEM. We've got a few things we need you to do. Uh, and it was um, a good exposure for her to see how everybody works well together. Um, I was in communication with a lot of people in this room and other city departments not here, and everybody just responded great. Uh, in particular, a s uh, grand scheme of things, uh, everybody played a role, but I would also like to highlight uh, the city attorney's office who during that time had just suffered a very tough loss and had to pick up and get going and didn't have time to deal with that loss and who were very very helpful so thank you to everybody thank you sean um do we have any public comment on this item okay seeing none we are going to move on to uh resilient san francisco and recovery initiatives Charlotte, I'm sorry, Charlotte, Charles Hagera from Department of Public Works is going to present on the public engagement uh, activity related to um, the Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond, otherwise known as ESER. Thank you. As you know, this is uh, ESER 2020 is the third in the series. Uh, we're slated within the current capital plan to go back to the voters in 2026. 
The bond breaks down, as indicated here. Uh, we have some continuing um, participants, if you will, in the bond, fire, police, uh, PUC. Uh, we have two new additions within the historic complement of ESER uh, participants, and that's uh, the uh, facility for uh, DEM at the 911 dispatch center, and as well, uh, this category of disaster response facilities, which I'll speak to shortly. Uh, well, we all know the, the threat. Uh, we have facilities uh, completed uh, through the first two bonds, uh, significant facilities. I call them generational, insofar as uh, we probably will not uh, build another such facility for 50 years or more. Um, these are very important projects to the various departments that I've mentioned. Uh, Medical examiners is one of the departments that have joined the ESERF uh, group of projects. Uh, we've worked throughout every neighborhood in the city, both in regard to fire stations, police stations, and facilities uh, that uh, result from the EFWS, Emergency Firefighting Water System, as well as I mentioned, the, the medical examiner, which is a citywide asset. Um, again, the uh, PUC manages exclusively the EFWS uh, projects within the context of the ESER bond program, and there are a good number of facilities, and I will, I will speak to that briefly shortly. There is work completing uh, with regard to ESER 2014. Uh, we have a new police crime lab and motorcycle facility, also known as the um, uh, Forensic Services Division and Traffic Company Project. Uh, we have a new floating firehouse at Pier 22 and a half, immediately behind uh, Fireboat Station 35. And of course, we're continuing to do work uh, in regard to the backbone of the EFWS uh, pump station number two at Aquatic Park is underway and will be completing in about a year and a half. Uh, there are a number of projects uh, within the context of our bond, clearly. Uh, th this slide speaks to them. Um, I'll leave that for you to review. Uh, priorities. Well, we have a greater need than the bond funds uh, are able to respond to, and so prioritization amongst uh, the needs is, is very important for police and fire station projects, and as well, for that matter, uh, regarding the EFWS, EFWS, it regards the condition of facilities and their, and their necessity vis-a-vis -vis operational or tactical importance. Uh, disaster response facilities uh, speaks to the opportunity to provide for uh, post-disaster uh, recovery and coordination at a particular facility or facilities, plural, that is to be decided. Uh, amongst the prospective projects for uh, fire and police, uh, these are the ones that present most prominently uh, amongst uh, the ver variety of facilities throughout both uh, facilities for um, police and fire. I've spoken about the EFWS, I think you all know it well enough. Um, the bond uh, in 2020 will be speaking to uh, an improvement of the west side, uh, which has uh, been outside the um, traditional or, or the normal realm of EFWS or AWSS as it was previously known. But we also intend to address uh, needs on the east side along the water's edge, the bay's edge, uh, with uh, particular manifold projects. Um, again, to the point, the west side has been uh, not neglected, it simply wasn't part of the original installation of the AWSS, so this is an expansion 
in that regard, and that will, uh, in, a, in a second, I'll show you how that makes a difference. Um, there's two phases to the west side. Uh, one will be, uh, the first phase will be springing, if you will, from a pump station at Lake Merced, and the second phase under a future Easter bond will spring from the Sunset Reservoir pump station. Uh, fire response air areas, FRAs, are defined by the fire department as uh, sprung from the initial alarm. Uh, these are the particular areas uh, throughout the city. And as you can see, uh, well, uh, apologies if I'd shown you the one before Easter began, you would see less of the, of the blue or dark blue. Um, but we're making quite a bit of headway as we move through these bond measures and ensuring that the city has parity in the access to emergency firefighting water system throughout. Uh, this is clearly the preferred um, status as we continue forward with ESER. Uh, the 10-year capital plan, you all know, so I won't belabor on that. Uh, we did have community outreach, and joining in the community outreach were representatives from police, fire, uh, DEM, and PUC. And so we had about a dozen such presentations in the community, very well received. Uh, again, clearly the need is apparent to you all. Uh, you're steeped in the importance of first responders' uh, capacity and capability to deploy quickly and effectively uh, throughout uh, an event and certainly subsequent to an event. And with that, I'll close for any questions you may have. Thank you. Any questions for Charles on this item? Okay, any public comment on this item? All right. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Um, our final report is uh, under emergency planning. We're going to be talking a bit about uh, emergency support function 18, which is cybersecurity. Um, we have a new emergency support function uh, here that we're going to learn about um, that is dedicated to cybersecurity threat and response. And to present to us is Michael Maxman from the Department of Technology and our own Bijan Karimi who's our Acting Dep Deputy Director for Emergency Management. Take it away. Thank you, Mary Ellen, for um, giving us space and time to, to talk to you today about the newest ESF-18. Unfortunately, um, it is um, definitely um, joined the ranks of other um, likely disasters of the city um, can be expected to um, withstand and um, respond to. Um, cybersecurity and cyber emergencies have affected recently many of the neighboring jurisdictions, um, um, cities such as Pleasanton and Union City. And of course, um, you've probably heard about the recent um, emergency um, uh, that have been declared and the uh, cities of Pensacola in New Orleans, and, um, and the latest one is um, um, being in New Orleans. Um, we've seen the disasters affect uh, both the um, um, traditional operations of the city as well as public safety agencies, um, which necessitates um, significant response and in really necessitates response from all of the city agencies together because um, the most likely scenario is that no one will be untouched. To help the city prepare, we've started the work um, 
in June with all of the city departments to create the new SF-18 function. Um, and um, our first work to, um, was actually to define what is an emergency, how do we speak to an emergency, and what is the normal operations. Um, on this table, which is probably a little hard to see, but is available um, in your handouts and is also in the plan, we've defined um, truly emergency conditions. And in the plan itself, we've talked, um, we've talked through what, what will happen, right? And I think we, we've realized we have a really robust um, emergency management process in the city, and we want to take as much advantage as possible of what we know how to do well, which is respond to emergencies. So cyber emergency just um, would, would join kind of the, the, the set of uh, potential responses that we might need to take. Um, we've seen a really um, strong uptake and, uh, and strong participation from all of the city departments in, in the new SF-18 plan. Um, Bijan will, will speak um, to, to the cooperation between the departments and kind of the new discipline that we're, we're building between the security officers and the departments <laughs> and department uh, preparedness coordinators. Um, this is the start of the work. Uh, I think there's a lot of work left to do in terms of the testing this newest function and really um, stepping us up and preparing for the cyber emergencies. Um, my team um, that supports all of the, the city departments is monitoring the situation very closely, and I think this is absolutely um, a necessary first step for us to start um, preparing and really um, elevating our preparedness level um, to where we would expect so um, would expect to be. Um, with that, Bijan, if you want to take us through um, the next steps. So the, the Cybersecurity Steering Committee is the one that really initiated this, this process. Tremendous amount of work, uh, Mike and, and his team at the Department of Technology went into creating ESF-18. And I apologize, there was actually one slide missing that Mike would have uh, described some of the contents of ESF-18, which really included how the city overall is going to respond and that matrix is the key piece of how things fit together. As we were going through this process, we realized the city overall needs a plan, but each of the different departments needs a plan. And the intention here is to sort of showcase on the information technology side, we have ESF-18, what the city's working on, and the complement to that, if you will, the information technology, that's the virtual world, in the physical world on emergency management, we have the citywide emergency operations plan. And then at the department level, what we needed to do was create the COOP Cyber Appendix, which effects, effectively forms the link between the continuity of operations plan, the very thing Mary Ellen talked about earlier, and ESF-18. And what we discovered through this process, we had all the city departments come together, we had our steering committee was information technology folks and emergency management folks are not speaking the same language. And what we ended up needing to do uh, to kind of help bridge that gap was actually give some basic explanations to an emergency manager, what is a network? Uh, when our IT partners are talking about things like servers and firewalls and switches and endpoints, what does that mean to an emergency manager? But at the same time, we need to talk to the IT folks about how does emergency management look at something when it goes wrong? And really, it was this connection of the virtual and physical world 
to let the emergence, the uh, information technology professionals in a department know that when you're getting the virtual system going again so that essential functions can take place, here's what your emergency management partners are doing. Here's how they're keeping things going that are identified in the continuity of operations plans so that we could maintain those essential functions. And so what we developed uh, after a lot of these discussions was the information technology folks said, just give me a list of questions to answer. Ah, we, we can do that as emergency managers. So really what we started with was what are the essential functions that have been identified in the continuity of operations plans? Then what are the supporting systems? Then we went to the IT folks and said, before an event, during and post cyber event, what are the types of things you're using to analyze uh, a system as it's going? How can we make sure staff is responding? If there is a problem, who's evaluating it? How does it link to the overall city plan? Because we also appreciate that not all departments are built the same. Some are very large departments, very capable IT staff. Some others are much smaller, and they may need the assistance of the Department of Technology earlier. And so that was the whole point of developing this cyber appendix, was to help a department identify, here's what we're capable of, here's how we're gonna communicate to the city's uh, Department of Technology, so D, um, DT can then make sure all other departments are aware of what's going on. Uh, there was one city department that had an incident take place, they let DT know, and the Department of Technology then pushed out citywide, if you see this type of behavior, be aware. Uh, and that let everybody else know um, if, if there's something strange, let's not infect anything else that's going on. And so the final step in the uh, COOP appendix, uh, the cyber appendix is an exercise. You can develop a plan, but now let's test it. And so over the last month or so, departments were provided with two different scenarios. They pick which one they want to use. One was a ransomware attack, which is one of the most common, and the other may have been a, a data breach if we were uh, using a cloud-based service. And these are just scenarios, not specific things that happened to us, but the intention was for departments to use this as a way to test their own plans. Now they're going back, they're making a modification, and then we're gonna be providing feedback uh, to the citywide plan and what Mike is doing so that we'll then be able to have our newest e uh, emergency support function, ESF, for different departments uh, to use and reference. Um, thank you. Uh, this is one of those things, we always say earthquakes, that it's not if, but when, and I, I feel like, unfortunately, this is one of those things for us, too. So I really appreciate the work and the collaboration with DT on this. Um, any questions from the council? Any public comment on this item? Okay. So um, we have a special presentation um, for, for a special person <laughs> who is seated right here with us. So, um, so Sheriff Hennessy uh, is, the, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> some photos. Sheriff Hennessy is the city's first female sheriff. Her, her career pat spans nearly 45 years. Um, when she became captain with the Sheriff's Department, it turns out she was the youngest to make this rank within the entire state, male or female, I understand. Yes. <laughs> I have a... <laughs> 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 
And um, she also sat in the position that I sit in um, uh, when she was the director of the Department of Emergency Management. And I just want to say on a personal level, um, you know, I worked, I've worked next to you for a long time. I, I worked uh, next to you when, um, before you were sheriff and I was at the health department and I started in this field and then when you became director and um, truly I just want to say thank you. I felt always very inspired by you and also incredibly supported. And um, this field, luckily, we have a lot more women in it now, but it's not always that case. And, and a lot of times, it's a lot of people in uniform, and it's a club that is um, not always easy to break into. But um, you, were, you were very kind to me many times, and um, I've always felt like you encouraged me, um, you know, as just as a person in this field, and um, I'm always going to be grateful for that. Uh, so I just want to, I think we all just wanted to honor your service and your last, maybe your last disaster council. I told her she's welcome to come back and <laughs> yell at us at public comment <laughs> or provide support. Um, but we just have a certificate for you and um, just want to thank you for all your years of service and uh, just from all of us, we appreciate you so much. Yes. Thank you, Mary Ellen. That's very nice. I'm glad to know that I was kind. <laughs> I didn't, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't know the effect you have on people. It's very nice to hear something like that, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the job you're doing now. I'm glad to see you in the position you're in, and uh, it's kind of exciting. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career. I've been very lucky to work for the city and county of San Francisco. I've had a lot of work to do. I love the work I do in the city and county of San Francisco. As most of you know, I was born and raised here. I'm going to stay here. I will be around. I won't be at disaster council meetings. I can pretty much guarantee that. But, uh, but I did want to thank you for all the work you do. And I know there's a lot of department heads and there's, some, there's uh, other people here today in their place. But even those of you, everybody in every department who's supporting the departments, supporting the department heads, working for the city and county in San Francisco, I've been honored and privileged to serve with uh, many of you, and I really appreciate the work you do every day, because I don't think it gets a lot of recognition sometimes, and uh, people don't understand. And uh, I, I just have to say one time years ago, uh, you know, when I became the director of DEM, and I, I started bringing my husband around to different meetings with different people, and you know, he's, uh, he was a retired police officer, and he's, you know, all these people, they're making money, what are they doing, you know, that kind of thing. But then when he met everybody, he realized how talented and exceptional uh, the group of people are that we have working for the city and county of San Francisco. And, uh, and I was glad to see that that light went on with him and that, that we both agreed on that. So, um, and thank you, Sean, and thank you, Mayor Breed. I appreciate that. And uh, also, we do have the sheriff-elect here, right? Oh, did he just step out? Okay. I was going to say we have a new sheriff, uh, Sheriff Paul Miyamoto, and I'm sure he and he's got a wealth of experience, and he'll be great. And uh, I look forward to turning over the mantle to him, uh, so I can go on my way. But uh, thank you again. Uh, I really appreciate this.
Okay, I think we still have to have public comment for that. So if there is any public comment, seeing none. Um, our last item is just to open it up to the Disaster Council Roundtable. Any Disaster Council member is welcome to make an announcement um, or comment. Yes, please. Hi there, Erica Maybaum from Supervisor Norman Yee's office. Um, and mine is more of a comment. Um, and it was based on kind of the presentations today when we were talking about lessons learned. Uh, specifically, you mentioned flooding in the beginning. And um, although Supervisor Yee is going to call a hearing, or is called a hearing on the flooding specifically in District 7 on 15th and Wawona, I just wanted to take a minute because there's such a wealth of knowledge and depth of knowledge in this room. Because um, I think there are opportunities um, for lessons learned from this because it was hyper-localized, um, but I still feel like there were some gaps where we could learn lessons, especially in the case of a bigger disaster. Um, I know that, for instance, the I believe the fire department, which we're so grateful for, dropped off sandbags. But one of the perfect examples of we have a lot of seniors in our district, and in the houses that were impacted, there was a house that put the sandbags um, correctly next to the house, and both houses to the side of this house flooded. Um, so is there an opportunity through NERT or through departments or volunteers on how to help our seniors or people who aren't, don't know how to properly place, uh, for instance, sandbags? Uh, when the supervisor went out with um, departments and I think representatives from the mayor's office um, with resources on claims and grants, uh, which was helpful. Um, I think all that information, I'm assuming, is online in other languages, but we didn't have it in other languages um, at that time. Um, one of the things that I'm sure you all read about, which was connected to the flooding, but if the house wasn't flooded, some of the houses experienced sewage coming up through the houses. Um, and we had residents asking our office, was it safe to clean up? Um, and I actually don't know if we have the, this is something that we'll, we'll discuss through the hearing, but is that DBI, Department of Public Health, PUC, um, just how, where's the appropriate contact for residents to find out if it's safe for them um, to clean up? So um, yeah, I just wanted to share some comments here. We'll get more answers at the hearings and better understand, but I do think this is an opportunity because it was 12 houses impacted or if this was a larger disaster. So thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to, uh, to give some kudos to some of our personnel from our Homeland Security uh, Unit. Captain Chris Pedrini actually put together a, a exercise or an exercise rather that um, basically involved the station being incapacitated. So we had, we had an opportunity to actually pull out our, our continuity, uh, con continuity of operations, our coup plans, and um, very, very enlightening exercise. So I, I, we learned a lot of lessons, and there's a lot of areas that we need to, to get better at, but uh, Captain Pedrini did a really good job, and it's something that we plan to do in other districts in our, in our police department. So just for the group, I mean, if you hadn't done that in a while, it was a very good exercise. And I know from a citywide, I know you've been working on tabletops as well, but I just wanted to put that on everybody's mind because uh, those, you know, those opportunities rarely come up and it's, it's always good to practice. Yeah. So. 
Thank you. That's music to our ears <laughs> that someone opened their coup plan. Thanks. Anyone else? Brian. Yeah, I, I have one really quickly sort of wanted to just let people know that the city's hazard and climate resilience plan is going, it's, it's actually our hazard mitigation plan. It's required by FEMA every five years. That's going to be sent to Cal OES and FEMA next week. Uh, and I wanted to thank all the departments, uh, all the people, every, every department that's here has a strategy in that plan. Uh, it, it really takes, I think, some bold steps to move us toward mitigating disasters and being more resilient. And I really just wanted to appreciate you, or if you could pass it along to your staff, including Captain Pedrini and all those folks that, that helped us formulate strategies or that spent time looking at the different hazards and putting it together, um, especially Department of Public Health, uh, Department of Emergency Management, Planning Department, Department of en and uh, the Department of Department of the Environment. So, thank you all for that. And I, while we're sending it to FEMA, we're going to continue to work on this um, as as we're, as it goes out. We're not going to wait five years to open it up again. Uh, we're planning to do public outreach in the next year and to continue uh, making it much more of a living document where people have access to the hazards, have access to the strategies. Uh, on the online or through uh, public meetings. So thank you very much for that. Thanks, Brian. Anyone else? Okay, with that, I believe we can adjourn the meeting. Uh, thank you all for being here, and we'll see you in the new year.